So Jesus just simply says, I mean, he's the master motivator. He is the ever-present guide in navigating impossible matters. That's what Jesus does. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Today's scripture is Matthew 14, 22 through 36. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw a strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then Jesus worshiped him. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. After they had crossed the lake, they landed. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again. So the question I have is, why would you want to walk on water in the first place? I mean, why would we want to walk on water? Like, isn't life busy enough? Don't you have enough going on that you wouldn't want to introduce a whole other thing about, hmm, should I walk on water or shouldn't I? It's just a strange thing to even consider. So, um, I mean, who has the time? Who has the time to mess with it? So, that's what we're looking at today as we see uh, this story that, that Gil read for us. Jesus is walking towards us this morning. And I invite you to notice faith welling up inside of you, inside your heart, inside your mind, as we pay attention to what God is doing in our midst. I want to say thanks to Amberly uh, for preaching last week. Uh, It's really uh, something that was beneficial and helpful and encouraging to me, and it's always good to share a pulpit with someone who takes the Scripture seriously, who takes the Gospel seriously, and, you know, goes ahead and has the courage to preach through a miracle story. Preaching miracles is really tough. That's why so many preachers resort to a gospel of self-help or a gospel of prosperity or just a gospel of, you know, just kind of getting along. It's really challenging, but that's the way it's supposed to be because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a miracle. Uh, What we believe is crazy. It's absolutely ludicrous but it's the most life-giving thing that we have 
before us. And that's why we continue to preach it. That's why we continue to live it. That's why we continue to share it with one another and with those who don't know that or haven't been reminded of that in a long time, that there is a God who loves them, who is searching after us with all of his energy. So Matthew tells us that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and they go before him to the other side of the lake and he dismisses the crowd, you know, he says, y'all can go home now, this is all good, and hey, disciples, why don't y'all cross the lake in the boat, and uh, I'm going to sneak off for a little while, and I'm going to head up the mountain, and I'm going to pray, you know, I need some time, so I'm going to go connect with God, with my heavenly Father, and you guys take off. It's this great thing, you know, the monks uh, carry out this tradition of work and prayer, work and prayer, and they do it, you know, literally with their schedule, they stop at six, and they stop at nine, and they have these times they stop and pray, but the rest of the day, they're just working, just like the rest of us, you know, they're building stuff, or they're farming, or they're uh, studying theology, or whatever they're doing, so we, we all do that, we have a mixture of work and prayer, work and prayer in all of our days, and I think this is a great kind of image of that, Jesus is going up on the mountain to pray, and the disciples are like struggling, you know, across the sea. So they're just, they're working, they're praying, they're continuing this stuff together. And evening comes, and Jesus is there alone. <clears throat> but by this time, the boat is a good ways away from shore, uh, and it's being beaten by the waves. The wind is, str- is, is, is working against them, and they're struggling. And they're in the fourth watch of the night. So those hours in the morning where it's really hard to stay awake. You know, whether you just woke up and you're starting your day or whether you've been working all night and you're trying to stay awake, it's really tough. I love the recent movie that came out uh, called Greyhound, if you've seen it, with Tom Hanks in it. And it, it, it brings to light a story about the U.S. Navy commander, Ernest Krauss. Uh, there's a book about it that was written in the 50s called The Good Shepherd. And it's, it's about this guy who's trying to navigate uh, the, the waters of the Atlantic uh, early on in the war, in World War II, and he's just trying to fend off all these German submarines and U-boats and everything. So it's a great story, but it really captures how hard it is when you, don't, when you haven't had enough sleep and when you're struggling. And there's a lot going on beneath the surface of the water that you're afraid of. And there's a lot going on around you and above you. And it can be scary. And the disciples are experiencing that. You know, remember the ocean, the sea for them is not like a wake sports fun thing. They, they're scared of the water. The only reason they're in the water is so they can fish and live and make money. They don't love being out there just for fun. You know, they're not out there for jollies. They're scared of what's below the water. There's like monsters and stuff under there. They're definitely afraid of what's underneath the waters. So they're out there, they're struggling. <clears throat> and to make matters worse, they're struggling in a storm and they, they see somebody walking towards them on the water. And they're terrified, as you or I would be, and they say, oh no, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but you can imagine. Just imagine the agony and the screaming. If you thought you saw a ghost, uh, what you would do already worked up from the water and everything else. I think this is just good old-fashioned fear. This is good old-fashioned, dang, I'm scared. And we're just meant to Imagine if we were in the same boat, literally, we would do the same thing. We'd be scared. The water is darkness. They don't have life jackets, you know. They're not behind a boat with an with a outboard motor or inboard motor or whatever where they're out there just waiting whose turn it is to ride the inner tube next. Like, this is not super fun. They're just, this is scary. And they're out there just trying to get from point A to point B. And to add, to make matters worse, they think they see a ghost. So it's getting kind of scary for the disciples. 
But immediately, Matthew tells us, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart is a fascinating word. It's just one word in the Greek, and it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like the word courage. And so some translations, your English translation might even say, uh, have Jesus saying, let your heart take courage. You know, it's like let your heart latch on to something strong. Let your heart be courageous for a second. Take heart. And then he says, it is I. Ego, a me. It is me, it is me. It's double emphasis there, and it sounds to the listeners, it sounds to the disciples like Jesus is saying, I am. Remember when God said that to Moses, and Moses said, hey, God, can you tell me your name? Uh, I'm here in the burning bush. Can you tell me your name? And God says, I am. You know, I am that I am. Well, Jesus is now saying that uh, to a boat full of scared disciples. He's saying, ego, me. it is me, it is I, I am and they're beginning to see this is not just an ordinary teacher. This is not just an ordinary rabbi. <clears throat> this is the one who's, first of all, walking on water, and he's telling us, I am that I am. It is me. Don't be afraid. Let your heart take courage. To me, it's great news that Jesus is present to us in our darkest moments. Isn't it great that Jesus is walking towards us when we're afraid, when we're legitimately afraid, when we're afraid of the darkness. And isn't it a gift to be reminded by Jesus' voice directly, hey, it's me. Let your heart take courage. It's going to be okay. The scriptures are constantly doing this for us. They're constantly reminding us, <clears throat> it is me. It is God. I'm here, present to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm present to you in your struggle, in your fear. And so Peter answers him in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is a point in the story where it's like the disciples are kind of fading into the background. You know, if you can imagine a Broadway show or a play and the lights are on and all the characters are there, but then all of a sudden there's only one spotlight and all we have left there is Peter. And Matthew's drawing Peter out to the forefront of the conversation, and he's trying to show us something. He's trying to teach us something. And so Peter's out there saying, well, Lord, if it's you, just say the word, and I'll walk to you on the water. Uh, back to my early question, why would anyone want to walk on the water? Why would you bother with it? Why is Peter saying, hey, Lord, I'll not only like, hey, I'll wait a second, and I'll I'll verify that it's you, Jesus. Why don't you just keep on walking so we know that it's not a ghost? But Jesus already speaks to them, and Jesus is like, okay. I mean, Peter's like, this sounds good. This seems right. But just a little check here. I'm still hesitating. Jesus, if it's you, can you just give me one more word? Like, can you call me one more time, you know, and make sure we've got good. There's no static on the line. And I'll come to you on the water. So Peter's emerging as this leader who has great faith. Uh, Aristotle said, you know, forever ago, that there's two ways that we acquire virtue. There's two ways that we acquire something like faith. For, for Christians, faith is a virtue. Uh, faith, hope, and love, uh, we call those the, the most important. Those are the theological virtues. Those are things that only God can give us. 
but they can be animated, they can grow inside of us. Uh, so it's like we're given the bodies that we have, the muscles and the DNA and everything we need, and then we can take it from there and, and actually grow those muscles and strengthen, and that's how faith, hope, and love work. So faith, we've got here, seeing it with Peter. So Aristotle says there's two ways you can get virtue. The first is that you can study it. You know, you can learn a lot about it. You can read about it. You can wrap your mind around it. You can get ready for it. And then you can begin to practice it. That's one. That one example would be like you can get healthier in the body by learning about nutrition. You know, you can read about it. You can look at recipes. You can understand the science of how our bodies work and how we metabolize food and how much exercise you need and yada, 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 yada. You can study that and then begin to practice it. The other way that we learn is by imitating other people. It doesn't require us to be a genius and to have 14 degrees in something to learn it. We can watch other people. How many of you know somebody that you watch them exercising virtue and you go, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. I can do that. I can't really maybe even perfectly understand it or know what it is, but I see someone else do it and I go, that looks about right. And so faith uh, works that way. Think of the times in your life where you've been prompted by the Spirit. I mean, all of us are here because we've had some sort of experience with God. We believe that God is real, that Christ is speaking to us, that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's some faith within us that is latching onto those promises. And when we first begin to do that, we don't understand everything about faith. Heck, we don't understand it now. We work our whole lives and we don't understand everything about our faith. But we continue to grow and we continue to learn. And part of the way we do that is by watching other people who have great faith and we go, oh man, that's possible because I saw that person do it, and I saw that person do it. And sometimes it's people who are alive that we can still see, and we can give them a handshake. Uh, and then sometimes it's people who have already gone on to be with the Lord, and we know them through their writings, or we knew them when they lived with us at a former time, and they're still teaching us today. So we may not know how to describe faith when we see it or when we notice ourselves exercising the gift, but we learn to recognize it when we see it. Peter is one of these people for me. He's one of these people for us. And it is just absolutely crazy that his response is, okay, I'm in, but one more word, Jesus. Just say the word, and I'm going to you know, make sure I'm in the right place here. I keep wanting to say that I'm in the right boat, and they're literally in a boat. That's really bad uh, language play there. But, um, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. Not the first thing I would think to say. Lord, if it is you, command me, and I'll come on the water. Because, I mean, who wants to walk on water in the first place? Who has the time? Who has the energy? Who would just think, hey, that's something I should do today? But Peter knows something about the treasure of Jesus. And I'm trying to lean in and watch. I'm trying to lean in and learn. What is it that Peter sees here that I'm missing? And so Jesus says, Come. So Peter asks Jesus, if it's you, just say the word. And Jesus says, okay, come on. Come on, Peter. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, and he comes to Jesus. Now, Jesus strikes me as the master motivator of the universe, okay? Uh, He is able to say the exact word that Peter is asking for, and it's something that prompts Peter to do something as crazy as get out of the boat, and walk on water, and come to Jesus. So Jesus knows this, right? And I think that when we're on the edge of the cliff, 
And we, we're, we're trying to decide if, if it's a good time for us to take that next step. Or in Peter's case, we're on the edge of the boat. We're trying to decide if it's right to take that next step. Uh, you can imagine being at Camp Butman and being on the high ropes course. And you've never been there before and you're up there and they've got you in a harness and they've explained it all to you and you know it's safe because you just watched somebody before you go and it looks good and everything looks right. And they're telling you all the stuff and they're checking. But I still get to the edge and I'm like, y'all change these ropes out on a regular basis, right? You test these for strength. You've done all your stuff. You've actually been certified and trained because you just look like a little college kid who's just now shaving, and I don't know, but can you really trust this thing? And I see the poles wobbling, and it's looking a little crazy, but I know, okay, you tell me this should work. So I asked a few people yesterday, hey, when you're fixing to try something that you've never tried before, or you need encouragement to try something that you haven't tried in a while, you're trying a new thing, like what is it that motivates you? How are you motivated? Because all of us, we like grow up playing sports and we think the way that we're all motivated is by coaches like screaming at us, right? Like, Streamick, get it together. If you don't pass the ball in that situation next time, I'm going to, you know, we're going, okay, that's how you motivate people. So we translate that on down the line. And if we want to motivate somebody, be like, it! if you don't do that, right? You know, but of course, not every coach does that. And not everyone's motivated that way. I remember one time my coach pulls me out in front of the whole gym and like you could hear a pin drop and he grabs me by the jersey and he's like, I don't even remember what he said because he was just like, da-da, 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 da-da. And I'm looking around like all the people just staring at me and I'm like, I'm not motivated right now to change. I just want to go crawl under a hole. I don't even know what you're saying to me. So like we're all motivated by something a little bit different. And um, maybe extroverts are motivated a little differently than introverts. Some of us need a little more time to process it and evaluate it. And it's like, Okay, thank you for giving me this harness, um, but I'm going to Google this real quick and make sure this is the right one for my weight, uh, and I'm going to hold on. So I just need a minute to do a little research. And so, you know, we need a combination of things. We're getting ready to try something that's a little goofy, it's a little crazy. And jumping off a tower, even if you have a harness on and there's a pulley, it's a little crazy. Uh, so I've seen many of you do this, uh, but, but it's a little wild. So uh, we do things every day that require this kind of trust, but how are we motivated? So Jesus just simply says, I mean, he's the master motivator. He is the ever-present guide in navigating impossible matters. That's what Jesus does. And so he simply says, okay, Peter, let's go. And in one of the wildest narration sentences in Scripture, Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, and he comes to Jesus. Like, it's no thing. Okay, so Jesus says, yeah, come on. And he's, okay, so Peter gets out of the boat, he walks on water, he comes to Jesus. What? He gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, and he comes to Jesus. Never mind why anybody would want to walk on water, but Peter verifies, and Jesus assures him, and he takes the step. So there he goes. He exercises faith. But when Peter saw the wind, he... You know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of times this is preached and you, just, you can make a lot of hay out of, you know, Peter took his eyes off Jesus. You think of the Hebrews text, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Like, let's keep going. So Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. What storm are you in? What is so great? And terrifying that you would need to embark on a faith like this and experience the joy of the soles of your feet gliding across the top of the water only to lose your footing 
and begin to sink. Like, what is so great that that would be worth it? What struggle and trial, what's beneath the waters that's so legitimately worthy of being afraid of that we would take these kind of steps and risk sinking for a little while? In these moments, I think we really need liturgy. You know, liturgy, the work of the people, the stuff that we say. We do it all the time, right? The Lord be with you and also with you. And we say the Lord's Prayer together. And we go through liturgies all the time. We learn the Lord's Prayer. We teach it to our kids. And moments like this is when you really need the liturgy, you know? This is when you need like a mayday call, when the wheels are coming off. And what can you really say when you're sinking and your life is flashing before your eyes? What can be said? Peter is afraid at the sight of the wind. He's taking his eyes off Jesus. And the text says, in beginning to sink, he cried out and said. Uh, the English doesn't quite capture, like, the panic here. He does two things. He doesn't just say something. But he cries out, and then he says something. <laughs> so it's like, we don't know what the scream sounded like or what the cry sounded like. But we can have a pretty good guess because we've all been scared. So Peter cries out, and then he says, Lord, save me. Like, what a great prayer. That's one to put on a note card and stick in your pocket. Lord, save me. That is one of the best prayers you can pray at any point in our lives. Lord, save me. Hosanna. Lord, save us. Right? Lord, save me. So I want to be somebody who's good at praying that prayer. Lord, save me. Because if you're praying that prayer very often, it probably means that you're engaging Jesus in these difficult matters, too probably means we're taking some steps out into some tough terrain, and we're risking sinking a little bit. So we should be good at praying that prayer, Lord, save me. Because faith can't be exercised, and it won't grow if we don't cry out, Lord, save me, pretty often. Now, Jesus, Matthew tells us for the third time, Jesus immediately does something. The third time in this little text, immediately and it's a very intentional word. It's not one that Matthew uses all the time. He says immediately Jesus does something for the third time. And every time that Jesus immediately does something, it's for the sake of the disciples. He's doing it because he's, he's, he's reaching out to them, right? He's trying to meet them where they are. And he reaches out his hand, Jesus does. He takes hold of Peter and he says to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Don't you love this image? Can't you notice this and how it happens? This experience of Jesus reaching out his hand and taking hold of us. Notice as well that the storm is still raging. Like Jesus hasn't bothered to calm the storm. We're not even exactly told how the wind stops in this telling of the story. But before the winds die down, Jesus reaches straight down and grabs Peter. And then he begins to talk to him on the way up. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? <clears throat> now, I always forever read this and I thought, man, Jesus is just, you know, he's shaking his head. He's going, Jesus, or Peter, 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 you know, why did you ever doubt me? Why havest thou not greater faith than to not fall in the water? You know, it's kind of this like, like shaming tone of voice that Jesus would be saying, good grief, Peter, here we go again. And we do this with Peter a lot, right? But this guy, I mean, he is, he is a great leader and illustrator of the faith, and Jesus is not shaming him. He's not saying, Peter, dadgummit, if you just get it together, we might be getting somewhere. 
But he says, and notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Peter, why were you scared? Now, as a dad, I'm guilty of that one. You have nothing to be afraid of. Why are you scared? And my kids look at me like, shut up. It's not you looking at the deal, okay? You can't tell me what I'm afraid and when I'm not. And so we learn this. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, why were you scared? He says, why did you hesitate? It's a different word. And it's only used this way one other time in Matthew's gospel. And it's, and it's showing that while a lot of people were believing, some people were still hesitating. So there's still some doubt. And so Jesus just says, Peter, man, why did you hesitate? Like, why, did, why did you doubt me? Uh, what, what was the pause? What gave you pause? Which is a great question to get asked. So if, if we hear shame in the voice of Jesus, if, if when you stumble and you begin to sink and we fall and we hear and we, we imagine Jesus saying to us, now, Strebeck, dadgummit, if you could just get it together. When I hear Jesus talking that way, more, than, more often than not, I'm probably not hearing the right God. If we hear shame when we're attempting something in faith and we stumble, then we're probably not hearing Jesus. But Jesus says, why did you hesitate? Fear is something real that we overcome through a steady faith. And through wisdom, one step at a time, and one fall at a time. I was trying to think of a jingle, you know, where we like three steps forward and, or two steps forward and three steps back. I think this is kind of how faith works sometimes. It's like two steps on the water, one step sinking. Two steps on the water, three steps sinking. I don't know, but some combination of steps forward and steps sinking. That's how we grow in faith. So they get in the boat, the winds cease. And those in the boat worship Jesus, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. And this is a huge moment in the story where people say it with their mouths. You are not just a rabbi. You're not just a great teacher. You're not just giving us good ideas and kicking around some people that we don't like anyways. But you are the Son of God. This is the real deal. And so they cross over, and the story goes on. People began to bring Jesus all their sick, as they so often did, and he makes himself vulnerable again, and he invites people to, they, they're bringing people to grab the tassels of his robe, which were reserved for, this is where we're supposed to remind us of the law and God's majesty, and now people are just coming up in their sickness, and they're just grabbing on to Jesus' clothes. So, as we wrap up today, I'm just asking myself, why do I hesitate? Why do I hesitate? Why do we hesitate? And I invite you to consider something that Jesus is calling you to do. I invite you to pay attention to the prompting of Christ that would invite you to exercise faith in a new way over something that's worth being afraid of. I can hear Jesus calling to me to take steps upon water that is new territory for me. Why do I hesitate? If I could hear Jesus' invitation again, if I could take that first step, can you hear the voice of Jesus calling you? Let your heart take courage this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.